Bereavement Room is a podcast for our community, faith and culture, featuring representative voices from across the UK. And I am your host, Kolsima Ali. I'm Lydia Akobole, and you are listening to the amazing Bereavement Room podcast. Hi, I'm Tasneem Chowdhury, and you're listening to the Bereavement Room podcast. Hey, I'm Lakani Chowa, and you're listening to the Bereavement Room podcast. Hello, it's Amar, and you're listening to the Bereavement Room podcast. Hi, this is Vai Ramu, and you're listening to the Bereavement Room podcast. Hello, I am Nikhod Khan Munawan, and you are listening to the Bereavement Room podcast with Kusuma Ali. Thank you for stopping by. Hi, this is Kal Singh Dinsa, and you're listening to the Bereavement Room podcast. Good evening, friends. I'm Andrea. Thank you for listening to the Bereavement Room podcast. My name is Darwin Dave, and you're listening to amazing stories of coexisting with grief on the Bereavement Room podcast. Hey everyone, it's Kadro Desai, and you're listening to the inspiring Bereavement Room podcast. Hi, this is Carrie Pugh, and you are listening to the Bereavement Room podcast. Hi guys, welcome back to the Bereavement Room podcast. I'm your host, Kolsima Ali. I'm pleased to say that today's guest appearance is my friend, Linda Smith. She's going to be talking to me about her uncle who died of cancer in 2017. I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in. Thanks for all your support. If you want to reach out to us, it's at Bereavement Room on Instagram, or you can find us on Twitter at Bereavement Room. Thanks for listening. A very warm welcome to our guest, Linda Smith. Hi, Linda. How are you doing? Hi, Kalsima. I'm doing good, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for the invitation. You're very welcome. I. Uh, it's a, it feels like a real honour to do this for you. Oh. Thank you for letting me do this for you. No worries. Thanks for having me. And I wish I could hug you right now, but obviously I can't. <laughs> Yeah, same. <laughs> Lockdown and everything that's going on at the moment. It's uh, I feel like it's a week that's going to, well, this entire year is going to go down in history. Yeah. Yeah. So. Definitely. One for the books. Yeah, one for the books. Absolutely. Mm. So our listeners mm-hmm. love to know where people are from, what they do. Introduce mm-hmm. yourself. Sure. So my name's Linda. Um, what do I do? I do B2B marketing. I've um, been doing marketing for a few years now. Um, I'm from, I live in London. I'm from Ghana. Uh, born and bred in London, but I consider myself Ghanaian. Um, what else about me? I love films, family, friends, socialising, when we're allowed out. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, just like, yeah, just try to enjoy life really best you can and then just learn from life as well and take those lessons and just, yeah, roll with it really. Yeah, roll with the punches, isn't it? Roll with the punches, yeah. Yeah. So, so you studied uh, film and TV at university, was it? Or yes, that's right. So, yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Was that your degree or your masters? Uh, yeah, that's my masters. For my first degree, I did journalism. Mm. Yeah. 
Good experiences at university? Um, I'd say my first degree was more good socially. <laughs> yeah, always is. Um, I think my masters, I really like gained an appreciation for film and actually like the writing side of film as well. Um, yeah, that's why. For those that don't know, me and Kalsum are like used to work together. That's why I was really passionate about film stuff when we worked together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, back in the day. So yeah, yeah. I, I really, I really like film and like images and representation of things. That's really, that's something I'm quite passionate about as well. Mm. Mm. I remember when we worked together. You were always out filming, always. Yes, I would find myself, like, I would make myself be out of the office. I'm not really an office person, which is weird, because I've been working in, like, office jobs for a long time. But I like to be out and about. I like to be creative, meet different people, talk to people. So, yeah, as I, I would film as much as I, as I could. And I really yeah. liked it. It was really good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's important to, you know, follow your passions and what it is that you enjoy. And mm. I, I hear you, the office environment can be a bit stifling. Yeah. It's a bit restrictive and, you know, to get out and about and keep moving is quite nice. And not looking at your screen all day, nine to five. Exactly, yeah. And it, it breaks up the day and just makes things not so repetitive. Mm. Yeah. Otherwise it becomes mundane. Yeah. Yeah, hey. So you just went to church this evening. Um, do you want to yes. talk a little bit about how that was going for you? Yeah, sure. So, well, like now, because we're in lockdown, we've been meeting online. So we have like Zoom calls um, where we have prayer meetings and like actual church service will be streamed on like Facebook or YouTube. Um, so this week we've been doing praying praying for our community, the nations, our families. Um, and then today's topic was focused on, like, praying for peace. Um, there's so much going on in the world at the moment. Um, you can lose your peace through, like, consuming a lot of news and just being exposed to so much and the different things that people are going through with job losses, like health issues and, like, yeah just unexpected challenges of life so today we took some time to like pray for peace that like even in the midst of storms and chaos like try and like hold on to the peace of God um yeah like absolutely to get these times so mm. yeah faith faith yes. Faith is important and mm. um, it, it's a big part of your life. Eh? Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. Something we've talked about on and off on the podcast mm-hmm. uh, with the former guests. But yeah. thank you for sharing that. And I'm, I'm happy that you, that, you know, you had a great session today that you still get to go to church, even amongst this global pandemic, that you still get to do that through technology. And uh, we have to be grateful for that, that we can keep that in our lives still. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. And that's why I'm here today, because of technology, you know. So, mm, yeah, absolutely. it's definitely a blessing. Yeah. Which brings me to say that, 
you're here to talk about your uncle who died of cancer in 2017. Yeah. Now, talk to me about who your uncle was mm-hmm. and the relationship that you had with your uncle. Yeah. Um, so my uncle was a real character. Like, he was really friendly, outgoing. Like, I remember when me and my brother was young, he was like the uncle that would come around and like give us pocket money or he'd buy us like chicken and chips or he'd take us to the park and stuff. He was like that fun like person, even though he mm-hmm. was older than us. Yeah. He, he had like quite a young spirit and we had like a lot of memories with him, whether it was like watching comedies together or like African films together eating together like I just have so much memories that I can draw from um that include him um yeah he I guess because when I was young he I would say he was mm, like it is he was quite when I was young like when I say young like around five years old he was like, in his 20s, which is quite young, but at the time, I didn't realise. Yeah, of course. Um, Yeah, and he used to be a bus driver, Mm. and then he went on to qualify as a train driver. He wasn't born here. He was born in Ghana. Um, Yeah. But after my mum came here, um, he followed her. Um, We lived quite closely, so we all lived in South London. Yeah. and my my mum lived like five minutes away from him. So we would go like back and forth to each other's houses. Like we were very like present in each other's lives. We were very close-knit family. Mm. Um, he had his family. So like my cousins, his children, we were really close. We grew up like brothers and sisters. Yeah. So it was really nice like when we were young growing up and yeah like having those memories and just being a close family really um he was really hard working had a strong work ethic um, yeah as much as he was at work a lot he yeah had time for family um yeah which I really respect and um he had dreams that he spoke about and unfortunately he couldn't pursue them um he always spoke about oh he wanted to be a doctor but they didn't have the means back home to take him to school yeah um but then like just his personality and like the way he spoke about education and the way he um kind of reinforced the importance of education like to us and his kids you could see that what he wasn't able to do he wanted to see it in the next generation Mm. um and, like, we'd have, like, little games that he would do, for instance. So he would, like, with my homework, if I had math homework, he would say, okay, if you get this math homework correct or this science question correct, I'll buy you chicken and chips. <laughs> you used to buy me to get it right. Or I'll buy you a super bowl. So, like, <laughs> having that little incentive kind of gave me a bit of motivation to get, like, work done and... Yeah, like, he played little games like that. So, yeah, he was just really fun to be around. Yeah, he was a role model in your life, by the sounds of it. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, he definitely was. Yeah. It's really beautiful to hear. Uh, We've all got an uncle that we're close to that was fun and 
that we remember that inspired us in many ways that was present mm-hmm. in our life I think a yeah. lot of us can definitely resonate with that yeah so so you, your uncle was diagnosed with with cancer um yeah. in 2017 mm-hmm. um in a way that's easy for you are you able to kind of go back to that time what you remember when he was diagnosed yeah so the interesting thing is as a family so I think I touched on when we were young and the experiences we had together but as we got older like things started to change there were some family challenges and conflicts so Mm. um like without going into too much detail, um, he moved away um, to Ghana for a period of time. Um, he came back um, to the UK, and there was a little bit of tension within the family. Um, and although, like, I would see him and stuff, it wasn't as regular as when I was young. Okay. Um, and then even amongst like the family there were like some times where people wouldn't speak to each other and yeah there was just a few little things going on so yeah he um actually didn't tell anyone um that he okay. was diagnosed so we didn't oh. know for a very long time oh gosh okay yeah which made it quite shocking and um difficult to deal with because by the time he'd actually informed us Mm. um it was quite it was at quite a critical stage Um, okay even then we didn't know how bad it was um I think my mum did realize that you know uh he was a bit unwell but I don't think she knew the extent so like leading up to before we'd find out uh, my mum kind of got an inkling I guess like you know when your sibling or someone in your family is not acting themselves or you know yeah yeah it happens uh, a lot yeah and then the fact well my mum she doesn't live in the country she lives back home in Ghana mm. um, but I think she just got a sense that he wasn't really his normal self so I think when we started to pick that up we started to like reach out a bit more and try and communicate um I can't I'm just trying to remember how it actually it can be blurry when you have to look back isn't it mm. he um separated from his first partner um and then like remarried okay um, yeah there was just a bit of tension around that Mm. Um, on my mum's side we was in contact with him on a regular basis um, but it was the other side of the family that had a bit of tension with him but uh, my sister and I were just making a lot more effort to try and check up on him go and visit him speak to mm. him like regardless of the issues that were happening yeah. in the family and then as we like started to spend more time with him it started to come to light that okay he's not doing so well yeah um and then when more people started to kind of um realize that okay he's not doing so good I think the extent of how unwell he was came to light Mm. um and then fast forward to cut a long story short there was 
quite a big um, argument which made him unwell. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, Stress. Yeah. And then he was in hospital and that's when it kind of was crystal clear, okay, this is your uncle's condition. Um, and yeah, like, to be honest, when it happened, my younger sister and cousin was there with him, like when like the stress happened to him and then it was revealed. And then the doctors that spoke to him, I wasn't there, but this is what I was informed. The doctors were kind of surprised that they didn't know how unwell he was. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, So it's quite a shock to all of us. So basically what we'd find out was that he'd had it for five years. Okay. Mm. So so did he know he had it for five years, but you guys didn't? Yeah. Okay. He knew he had it and kept it to himself but we didn't know yeah do you know why that was a big shock yeah it would be wouldn't it Mm. Uh, because you you then find out when maybe it's too late and yeah that's hard yeah so So by that time we felt quite helpless mm. but then I think because we had just found out even though the doctors were giving a certain diagnosis or they were, like, giving certain predictions, we were kind of... It's not like we weren't believing it, but we just thought, okay, he's going to get through this. We've still got time. You know, we know people that go through chemo and, you know, they they get their lives back or they get, like, at least a few more years. Yeah. Um. But where we didn't know the history and, like what had been happening in those few years yeah it was just quite a shock so it went from like finding out he's unwell to like daily hospital visits and like trying to visit after work and stuff Mm -hmm. Um, but do you know do you know why he kept it to himself to be honest, I would. I don't think I will ever know for sure. I can guess and think because of the, you know, family issues and where he separated from his first partner and there was a bit of tension there. Um, it could have been like feelings of guilt or... Yeah. Um, yeah, where we wasn't as, like the whole family wasn't as close may have wanted to keep it close to himself because I don't know I don't know if he was kind of preempting people's reactions or to be honest I don't know you know but um yeah it's just it's quite a shame because like I think if he opened up to some of the family um he could have had like a lot more support um, and that's what made it quite hard as well, knowing that he was going through that alone. Yeah, um, very isolating. Yeah. Because, um, you know, l- life is unpredictable, but when you have people around you to support you, um, or family, or, you know, just people that you can confide in, I think it makes, it takes half the burden off. 
But when you're unwell um, and you're carrying that alone, that in itself can cause quite a lot of stress. Yeah, it can yeah. make the condition yeah. wor- worse. A lot of diseases mm. are related to stress. Yeah. And it's a heavy thing to carry. Definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. So did he get any treatment? Were you aware of any sort of chemo or anything that he received? Mm. Uh, well, I did start to... It's funny because I don't actually have, like, the full picture of, like, what he went through. But I do know, like, he was having regular hospital visits and there were times where like my sister would try and get in contact with him in the past but he wasn't available and then we kind of put two and two together and thought okay these were the times he was in hospital when we couldn't really get hold of him or he wasn't as responsive um but again yeah I think that was just I don't know if it was in his mind he was being strong you know, by keeping up faith. I don't know, sometimes people don't like to show they're going through stuff. They like to kind of keep an appearance that they're okay because it shows they're strong. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm. quite a lot to deal with. That's a lot, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, so, I mean, you used to visit him in hospital when you could, like, after work and stuff. Mm. I remember you saying. And actually, we were, this was 2017, so you and I were in the workplace at the time. Yeah. And, you know, there was a lot that happened in 2017 Mm. whilst we were working. Yeah. Um, And, you know, you and I have spent a lot of time together, but my memory is a little bit blurred. So Mm. I don't actually recall having this conversation with you about your Mm. uncle Mm. it's very vague I feel like it was mentioned Mm. um yeah I think it was probably more I remember having a conversation with you after I think maybe before I might have mentioned it a bit but yeah it comes back to me now it was after he died I remember you said your uncle had died because you hadn't been in the office yeah um I think before it's so weird like we really should give ourselves time to deal with things I think I was trying to like get on with work Um, (laughs) yeah and because I was a contractor at that time oh okay um I couldn't really like yeah I remember now time Mm. off and stuff so Mm. I did try to like when his health would go down like quite significantly you know I'd say to work like I have to go and I, I made it I made it quite transparent to them that you know I've got a relative that's not well so I might need to go to the hospital at times um mm-hmm. so, and when his health went down significantly at times I would go to the hospital and stuff but I think because we had this plan that he was going to come home. Mm. Um, yeah, I probably didn't talk about it that much because I was probably expecting him to come home. He'll recover. Even if, um, you know, it is quite far um, in the sickness, we'll still have a bit more time together. Yeah, because he... the. 
the time frame that they give you, they usually mm. doctors are like, oh, it could be six weeks to six months. We don't know yeah. that you're going home to die and here's morphine, right? Yeah. Mm. And it's really unpredictable because sometimes mm. days. Yeah. Yeah. So, so did he come home then? No. So he was meant to come home. That's what we were preparing for. Mm. Um, and he was moved out of intensive care. And, yeah, like, the doctors were speaking as if, okay, we're getting ready for him to come home. But I don't know if maybe his um, partner or the adults, I don't know, to be honest, if they weren't telling us everything or if they knew and they, do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, it's hard to know. It's hard to know, yeah. Mm. Um, But, yeah, he was, we were preparing to come home. Even the doctors spoke about, him coming home but I don't know if they were speaking in the context of he's coming home to spend his last time if that makes sense like obviously yeah people don't mind passing away in the comfort of their own home and things yeah. like that so I don't know if it was in that context okay um, but our interpretation was he's coming home to like come out of here okay yeah yeah that's hard yeah it's really hard um mm. And then it was a bit, oh, I think because of like, I mentioned, like I touched on the family issues because there had been some arguments and unresolved things. Like it was a bit difficult, you know, with some people coming to the hospital and stuff. And yeah, it was Yeah, a bit, it gets contentious. Yeah. Families aren't easy. Definitely. Families aren't perfect at all. We've all mm. got our issues. Yeah, it's so true yeah so true and then like even though we were going every day so my mum came from Ghana um Mm. and she was at the hospital every day and like you know friends would come round and it, it really lifted up the atmosphere in the hospital and then like we had a few nurses that like knew him like on a nickname basis and like cracking jokes and that so it was it really turned the whole situation around mm. um, and it just felt so hopeful that okay we're gonna come out of this he's gonna come home and he'd even say like oh you know when when we're out of here I'm gonna make you like some chicken soup we can like watch films together like back in the day and stuff but then I did notice that the way he started to talk changed um, yeah I think he was preparing himself, um, yeah, to say goodbye, or he had already uh, okay. by the things that he started to say. Okay. Um, the way he spoke, yeah. Was there anything that he said to you specifically at all that you mm, remember? I think even before we went into hospital, mm. he really stressed on the importance of forgiveness okay um and he would never speak like that. wow he would never speak like that he was kind of up for like I want to say he liked arguing but like a bit of drama you know didn't mm. hurt anyone kind of thing yeah yeah he really I, I like there was development in the way that he thought and yeah he just really spoke about the importance of forgiveness and being together as a family 
and that indicated to me that he was probably looking back on his life thinking about what he could do different Mm. and what he can pass on to like the next generation yeah reflection Um, yeah Mm. um and then in the hospital um like when we was like really young we all used to go to church together but then he kind of stopped going so much and me and my younger sister go to church and my cousins quite a lot um and when my me and my sister offered to pray for him he was very open yeah for it Um, yeah yeah so just like subtle changes like that and then he'd call like when I was young um he'd call me by like my Ghanaian name and then in the what's the Ghanaian name um a coast which is for Sunday oh lovely okay yeah, yeah. okay um because in Ghana we have different names mm. for different days of the week so if you're Saturday born Sunday born yeah and then he started to call me that and he hadn't called me that since I was a young like really young so that made me think okay I don't know like he's kind of given me something to hold on to if that makes sense yeah um comfort yeah yeah um yeah so it was it was I don't know it was it was a nice ending but it was cut so short and so sudden and we just weren't prepared for it yeah it was it was a shock to the system like yeah and to know that he'd been holding that for so long without sharing it with us it yeah made us feel so helpless and then it makes you think like what could we have done differently like could we have done this or maybe if the situation wasn't like this in this area yeah that happens a lot you know in grief mm-hmm. yeah it's um people talk a lot about guilt and feelings of guilt or regret or Mm. coulda shoulda woulda or whatever it may be yeah um and that's quite natural in grief because I think everybody looks back and reflects on oh could we have done something else and but then what you what you don't know you don't know right yeah it's so true yeah and 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 that's actually not in your in any of our controls in your control Mm. Uh, and I often feel like guilt comes from the fact that you're you're so helpless Mm. that that's what you feel guilty about the fact that you couldn't be there in that time of need or you know you Mm. weren't aware it wasn't in your awareness and it the guilt really stems from the fact that you're helpless yeah the loved one and I it's a it's a horrible feeling to be engulfed in so what Mm. what was that like for you like how did you cope with that feeling um at the time oh gosh it was so because like sometimes we'd get reports like oh he's doing better than other times we get report like oh he's doing really bad or his breathing's off or it was just like an up and down roller coaster and then when he I was at the hospital the night before he passed Mm. um and I think my mum had seen the condition he was in so he wasn't conscious anymore um his breathing was quite heavy 
and yeah yeah he wasn't responding to like anyone anymore and I feel like my mum had seen this before and she said something to me she was like if he makes it through today then he'll make it but if he doesn't I don't think he's gonna make it so I think she's seen that like point of someone's health deteriorate before Okay. And that was just before they passed. But me, not I've never seen or been exposed to that before. So I didn't really understand what was going on. Mm. Um, and then, strangely, like that night, I just had peace um, that he's actually, like, going. He's, like, passing away. Um, so even before it happened, I think... I feel like I knew. Yeah, it's a, f- a feeling that you got. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the next day, uh, I was at work. I think I was actually shooting um, okay. on set. Yeah. Or on location for a marketing film. Yeah. And then my mum just called me and just said, he's gone. Oh, gosh. Um, and I went into, like, we had these pods in our... Office, yeah, I remember office. them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I went there, had a little cry, and then oh, I think oh. my managers were out, so I told the PA at the time. The PA? Um, yeah, the office manager. Oh, okay. Yeah, at the time. At the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Um... Yeah, that it happened, and she apologised, she was like, just go, I'll let them know. Um, and then, at that point, it was more like trying to be there for my mum, and trying to be strong for her. Um, so, my mum and my sister was at the hospital, they were crying, and I just couldn't cry. Wow. Um, I don't know, it just, at that point, I don't know if it was the shock or, like, just nothing was coming out. I, I was sad, but it didn't feel real. Yeah. Because it was so sudden and so quick and so unexpected. When you're expecting someone to come home and you've kind of, you're putting plans and you're, you've got this schedule, okay, when he's back, this is what we're going to do, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Just, I wouldn't say taking life for granted, but just taking that just assuming that just because you think something's going to happen that it is because it might not go the way you plan but we was expecting him to come home and they said he was gone and it was just just didn't feel real and then my younger cousin his son that you know they just kind of started to get back on terms speaking terms together I know he was finding it really difficult. He couldn't even believe it. He was, like, telling him to wake up. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, because it just felt so unreal. Like, how can this be? Like, does it even make sense? Oh, man. Yeah, and I think that was probably down to us finding out so late and not realising this is the stage. Um, Yeah, so it was just... Just, yeah, it took me, I think, to kind of accept um, 
what had happened. It took me a while. Yeah, it took me to a get, while. To get to that stage, yeah. To get to that point of just accepting, okay. He's I gone. knew he'd gone, but I don't think I'd accepted it. It had happened. Like, yeah. Um, They're two different things, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And then it's like we went from, like, going day... And then there were some... Like, I would go daily as much as I could, but there were some days I couldn't go... Um, and then again, like you were mentioning about the guilt, that backtracking, like thinking, oh, maybe I should have gone on that day that I didn't go. I could have spent a bit more time with him. Do you know what I mean? But it's just like, like you mentioned, it's just out of your control. You just don't know. We never know when the time yeah. is coming. No. And a doctor's prediction doesn't mean shit, to be yeah. quite <laughs> Sometimes you're just like, these doctors, oh, I don't know, man. They're just... Don't know how it works mm. uh, essentially but uh, that's the one thing I've learned anyway from my experiences now although mm. it's too late now but sometimes you can't be gospel whatever medic says of course not no way yeah no and that's quite a hard pill to swallow at times <laughs> yeah but, you know you because we we trust medics don't we we believe everything they say because we're not doctors so we mm. don't know anything about the body and diseases like they do but yeah it seems like they also don't know either so <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah oh oh so like the acceptance thing i mm. yeah i hear you they're two different things that's happened mm. but then accepting they're actually gone yeah yeah, yeah, two different things. And I remember three key points of, like, dealing with that. Um, one time, I think it was just the memories and realising, okay, I'm not going to experience those memories with him again. Mm. Um, and I think I'd just been out for a long day. I was just walking around south, doing a bit of shopping and stuff. Um, and then I came home and I just... I just like fell on the rug and started crying oh and then my mom and sister was like what is going on with Linda um and then I think my my maybe my brother picked up that oh like she's grieving like just let her cry out kind of thing and I think that was maybe like a week or two weeks after probably but it was just like a random outburst yes delayed um, grief like, yeah, so I think it was, I was gradually starting to deal with it. And then we started to plan, like, uh, the funeral and stuff. And I was asked to get his picture framed. Because um, yeah. at our funerals. Uh, oh, Ghanaian funerals, what are they uh, like? Yeah, so we'll do, like, a, the first stage it's one the one week uh we did ours in a like community hall uh everybody so they're quite big there's a lot of people that come um we had ours in a community hall and then all the family members will sit like around the circumference of a room and then as you enter you have to go around and shake all of that they're seen as elders so like you'll mm -hmm. have a high table and okay. Then you shake everybody's hands oh, out okay. of respect. Yeah. You don't shake the wife's um, hand because she's grieving. 
Yeah, okay. Um, but you shake everyone else. So my mum was at the high table and then any other close, really close family members. Um, and then, yeah, like we sit in the hall, they do announcements, they play music. Um, I, I never understood this when I was young, but we have like dancing. Um, but it's, you have like, there's certain songs that, will be played that have quite a mellow sorrowful sound yeah um and that's to show you're grieving mm-hmm. uh with the family so like it would have my mom and close family members and they'll be dancing around her but it's a way to show support yeah and then there'll be other elements that might the music might be a bit more uplifting and that's to show that you're celebrating the life yeah mm-hmm. um Sounds very beautiful, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. But how did that make you yeah. feel, though? I get the feeling that what's um, your experience of it? Interesting, because it's such, it's so embedded in our culture. Um, it's almost just something that you do. Um, I've never really been a fan because I just don't like funerals anyway. Yeah, of course. Um, but I think growing up, I kind of struggled with the the way mourning is done back home as opposed to what I understood mourning to be. But I don't. when I reflect on it now, I don't think there's any right or wrong way. Mm. Um, I think people grieve in different ways. Yeah. And just because it's done in a different way to what you're used to doesn't make yeah. it unauthentic. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's just, yeah, because I'm just not accustomed to the customs and the traditions. It just, it just feels a bit strange to me. Like, um, and funerals are a big thing um, in our culture. And you can have people that are actually hired to mourn. Okay. Yeah, so hired to, like, cry and, like, create that atmosphere of mourning. Oh, so the community comes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's very... I think for me, personally, how I felt... um, It was quite distressing to see my mum go through that. um, Because she also had lost a sister... Okay. Um, when she was young, so the year I was born, she lost she lost her younger sister. Um, and now she'd lost her younger brother. Oh gosh! And it's like she's having to put all the arrangements together. She had to be strong for everybody else, but I can tell that even though she was being strong for everyone else she was experiencing a lot of pain yeah of course yeah that's the thing with being strong I I've heard that a lot in the with my former guests on the podcast Mm. um that they were always told to be strong be strong be strong yeah Uh, Andrea and Lydia talked about it quite a lot Mm. what's your feeling about you know being strong for everyone do you have a yeah. a message about that um 
I think people say that almost as a cliche, like be strong. But sometimes the people that are told to be strong or are strong for others, like where do people think they draw their strength from? You know what I mean? Sometimes it's not... I, I feel like, yes, it is an encouraging thing to say, but at the same time, recognise that that person um, also is not always going to feel strong 100% of the time and they are allowed to not be strong. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, give them, a gr- give them grace to not always have to be strong. So, you know, I, I do understand that phrase and it's probably... It, meant to encourage people um but at the same time maybe just listen um or maybe find a way to be strong for that person in that moment Mm. rather than expecting that person to be strong because some people have been strong for so long you get to a point where you're just like how do I be strong in this situation it might even just be offering a hug or just listening or letting the person cry or giving them room to just be a bit vulnerable um so yeah maybe just give people space and remind them you know what it's okay to not feel okay it's okay to not feel good or have to put on a front um because that's what makes us human you know exactly yeah yeah we have to drop the mask yeah and uh, we need the people around us to h- help us do that because mm. the environment sometimes doesn't help. Yeah. Yeah. So your mum had a lot of loss, really. She lost her younger siblings, and that's a really mm. difficult thing to go through. Yeah. Heavy. A lot. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah, like, she... And the thing is, she is really strong, like sometimes I just look back and just think I just admire her strength because I'm not sure how I don't really have an understanding of how she's managed to deal with that pain and I know the pain is still there but she's able to like I wouldn't say get on with her life she's getting on with her life but she's able to I don't know how she's processing it. I, yeah, to be honest, I don't understand. Because when I try to put myself in her shoes, I'm just like, wow, like, you are such a strong person. Like, um, But then at the same time, I give her room to be vulnerable and I don't tell her, mum, be strong, be strong. Um, she sent me a video, actually, um, with the coronavirus, because our uncle, like... Um, worked for as a bus driver and like doing the trains yeah um you know how aunties and mums send around videos and whatsapp stuff yeah those aunties they love whatsapp (laughs) now they've discovered it they love it you know um so i think someone must have sent her a funeral video of a bus driver and because of the pandemic obviously people can't have big funerals yeah. So what they did is they had it at the bus garage and they had all the bus drivers come and support the person that had passed, family members. Um, it looked like a really beautiful like ceremony, but obviously it's really sad that 
a bus driver has passed from this. And then she sent me the video and she's like, Linda, I just feel really sad today. Like, this reminds me of my brother. And then it just reminded me, like, even though she might be getting on with life and she's moved on, like, that's something that's always going to impact her in a way. Um, yeah. And I just gave her room to, like, yeah, be vulnerable, be open and just let her know that I'm sharing her pain with her. Like, we miss, we all miss him and just try to, like, remind her of, like, yeah, like, his life and our time as a family together. But, yeah, it is painful. Um, But, yeah, I think it's important to also give strong people, in brackets, room to be vulnerable. I concur with you 100%. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we've got to give people that aren't showing their grief on the outside room. Mm. We've got to show up and let them know it's okay. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey. How else do you remember about the funeral? Like, what was your goodbye like for you? Mm. Um, so when I when I concluded that I think he's passed away the night before um I said to myself that I would speak um at his funeral and talk about his life and his legacy and yeah just speak about him um so I put together like a kind of story of you know how I my experience of him and painted him in a realistic picture not as a perfect human being because no one's perfect absolutely um yeah but then um just trying to also put um whoever heard the speech in his shoes of him um dealing with what he was going through alone Mm. um yeah, so I just spoke about our times growing up together and just trying to paint a picture of something that everyone could relate to, that he was quite a joker, um, he was quite cheeky and things like that. And, yeah, like, just um, remembering him through his uniform. Like, he always wore his um, <laughs> his uniform, like his train driver and bus driver. I was, like, a part of him. Yeah. Um, and like it was really nice because a lot of his work colleagues like came. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you could just see like a, a lot of people that experienced the same things um, when they were around him, like just, you know, the jokey banter and like funny times. And yeah, it was just nice. Um, I also think. When we was arranging the funeral, so there was a picture. I kind of got sidetracked from this earlier. There was a picture that we were you using the um, in the wake. So you have like a framed picture and just a way to remember the person. But when we were getting it printed and framed, um, the lady in the shop said to me, oh, that's such a nice picture. Like, is he going to hang that up in his room? Oh, and then when she said that, it just reminded me, no, he's not. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, and it just, 
really hit me like wow like she clear obviously she doesn't know what she said but yeah um just just such a simple thing just made me think like wow he's actually not do you know what I mean and um yeah um and then I think finally like even at the funeral after I did my speech and stuff and we did all of the like customary things like I still wasn't really I was sad but I wasn't able to grieve properly I think it was after um the whole funeral in this country so um what some Ghanaians tend to do is you'll do if you're based here you'll do something here um and then they'll fly the body back home okay Um, yeah and then you'll get um like buried back home and then you'll have like another funeral so it's quite a long process and yeah there's quite a lot of different stages involved um I didn't go to the Ghana um like customary funeral but I went to everything here um but at the end of everything here I just yeah still hadn't really hit home um it was it was after when I I don't know uh I was like at church and it was like during like choir time and people were singing and then I just broke down (laughs) um like to myself and I think then it just finally hit me that okay Linda you have to accept you have to let go and like process this now and understand that you know he isn't coming back you had you know good memories and we don't know why he's passed at this time and why it happened like this but you have to let go I think everything I was doing up until that point was maybe saying like okay he's gone but not I hadn't accepted it yet I hadn't accepted it um but I think after that point um I accepted that okay he's actually yeah he's not going to be here anymore but I've been privileged and blessed to like have someone so special um in my life and in our family and like all the moments that we've had um whether good or bad like I've just been blessed to know like to have that person yeah he's he's just been such a special person and yeah I'm just I'm just grateful to be honest and it is sad um that you know in this lifetime we might not eat and you know watch a talent show together but there's so much memories that I can draw from and there's so much ways that um, his legacy can be passed on, whether it's through the lessons that I learned from him, like his outlook um, on life or the things that I experienced with him um, growing up. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think like it's important to think about, okay, I, although they're no longer on this earth and you, know, you can't share time with them in this life but you know what what can you do to help their legacy live on yeah 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 absolutely Mm. Uh, and um 
Are there any specific things that you've t- taken then from all your memories that you had? Because he was so special and instrumental um, mm. when you were growing up in <laughs> yeah. your life. What yeah. What is it that you have taken yeah. now to live your life going forward? Yeah. Um, definitely the importance of family. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned before, family, like, Everybody has stuff that goes on in families, but not to dwell on things and let situations drag on, you know? Mm. Um, Mm. I think, like, you know, that theme of not being in control of things, it's just a part of life, really, but a lot of it is to do with how we respond to the things we can't control. And we're all human. People get upset and, you know when things hurt you you can get in your emotions and um but sometimes like I think this situation just made everyone step back and look at a bigger picture um so yeah definitely like the importance of family and letting things go Mm. and yeah um I would also say the importance of like lifelong learning. Um, like he always spoke about the importance of education. And I think his his expression of not fulfilling what he wanted to do um, just makes you realize that like that you can always, I think you can do whatever you put your mind to you can do it absolutely I kind of questioned um like he did speak about the background that we came from and like living back home um and he did like instill education values in us but like he could have followed his dreams as well so just maybe like not having regrets and just going for whatever you want, really. Um, taking risks. Yeah, taking risks. Yeah. Um, it's never too late to like pursue your dreams. No. Um, I remember one conversation I had with him. I was quite young. Yeah. When I was at school and like looking back at it now, I realised he was quite down. Um, but with my teenage mind I didn't really understand and he just kind of expressed that um, I think in a way he was indirectly telling me he was quite stressed um, with like the pace of life and I think in hindsight I didn't realise how young he was and he had quite full on responsibility like raising kids and stuff Um, so I think what I'd learned from that is just don't be afraid to not be okay. <laughs> I think, especially now, like we're in a time where you have you have to portray that you're okay. Yeah. With social yeah. media, Instagram, you have to look like you're having a lit time on this holiday. You yeah. have to look like you're like the best boss woman, or you mm. know, you've got your side hustle on, and you're making this much like. It's so much to do with image, but, like, don't be afraid to, like, not have it all together because we don't all have it all together all the time. And Mm. 
sometimes you just don't have it together. So um, don't be afraid to like admit that or share that with someone that you trust. Um, yeah, you don't always have to wear a mask. And finally, I would say try and like laugh as much as you can because mm. there's so much things in life that can just disappoint you, crush your spirit. Um, but laughter is medicine and mm. you can draw like when you laugh like from the belly yeah <laughs> that's quite random when you like because I'm somebody like I'm zero to a hundred so like when I'm upset I'm like really upset but when I'm like laughing cracking joke like it's the next level like I can be rolling on the floor like laughing like and I just think those moments like people that you can like laugh with and have like good times with like really like cherish those moments and try to make those moments when you can like some things are just not in our control but I just feel like there's some experiences in life where laughter is involved like it's just so good for the soul it's so good for the memory it's so good for the body like it's just like I just I think the best memories I have is just like where laughter's been involved and when I think about him, like, we've just caught so much jokes and had so much good times, whether it's even just, like, cooking together or, like, spending summers at his house and stuff like that. Like, there's so... Like, for example, there was one time when I was at school, secondary school, I was meant to be doing community service, but I wasn't. <laughs> um, I was just, like, going around <laughs> okay. career with my friends. And there was, like... Low, I don't know why but that particular day there was loads of us like probably and I went to a girl school as well it was probably like 15 or 20 girls we probably looked like a gang oh gosh and then, okay. and then but we were just like going around with gift like yeah just going in the shops window shopping and looking and like most people are probably too young to remember these shops but like Bay Trading Co oh my god I remember that shop yeah too. and like Tammy and yeah shops um yeah like um and clothing club and silly things like that yeah but yeah when I and then my he always bought me like kickers I loved kickers at school he would always buy me like kickers um and then like my shoelace undid and like all my girlfriends like walked ahead of me and then he just happened to spring out of nowhere um and then like I just realised I'm supposed to be at school. Like, what what am I doing, like, out on the road in Croydon? I'm supposed to be at school. But he didn't even say anything. He just gave me money for, like, chicken and chips. And, like, I'm just so glad he didn't see me with a bunch of girls because it just would have looked so bad. But, like, for me, even that is just a funny moment that he just randomly sprang out of nowhere, gave me money for chicken and chips. And, like, I just went on my merry way and, like, bought chips for all of my friends, like... I don't know. I just think, like, yeah, laughter is medicine for the soul. Like, where you can just laugh and have good moments with people because, yeah, there's so much in life that can have the opposite effect on you. Mm. Um, But that's something that can't really be taken away from you. And I'm just grateful Mm. that I've got a lot of good moments and memories of him that involve laughter. And I think that's probably what made our relationship so good. Even though, like, the age difference was so big, it really connected us. So, yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Uh, the lovely takeaways that you have on how you remember your uncle. 
now going forward in your life and mm-hmm. how you how you continue to grieve yeah um I love the chicken and chips moment in Croydon <laughs> giving you the money <laughs> and you go around the shops I think because you and me are the same age we were born in the same year yeah. I know all these shops and I I resonate with this moment that you're telling me about bunking off school so, uh, yeah I hear that and mm. running into a family member randomly yeah <laughs> yeah uh, that's a beautiful one and the the laughter absolutely mm. i'm i'm with you there but which kind of brings me on to discuss counseling and uh therapy services with you mm-hmm. what so what did you know what was your fer- you know therapy mm. like like did you did you feel that you needed to speak to somebody that weren't mm. your friends and family like when you returned mm. to the office did you have any compassionate leave talk me through that mm. do you know what yeah i think so with work, uh, I took a bit of time off, but I felt like there was a bit of pressure to get back in the office and like crack on, uh, which I was a bit disappointed with, really. What do you mean um, by pressure? What does that look like? So I felt like my boss like gave me leeway with a day. Um, but one but day? Then, okay. Yeah, but then after like the day or two they kind of wanted me I I got the feet they didn't say it in so many words but the impression I got was like things need to kind of get back on track um with your task so yeah you need to get back in the office and I think I should have probably been a bit more blasé about it and just took more time off um but then at the same time I think if I took too much time off I don't know I I think it's good I think it was good for me to be busy yeah Um, but I think a bit more understanding would have been better and when you say understanding do you mean giving you the option saying oh hey Linda I I know that your uncle died and we want to help support you so what can we do to support you is that what you mean exactly yeah I think that was the conversation that yeah should have yeah should have been presented I don't I don't really feel like it was I think probably for my manager but I'd say for my boss not really Mm. I think when he passed it was kind of just like straight on to funeral arrangements and Mm. sorting out logistics for that Um, so you got you were busy you had a lot to do Mm. but 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 I guess later on because uh did you access any therapy at work yeah or did you think about that is that something that came to mind or Mm. no do you know I didn't explore it within work I didn't even think whether they'd have a I didn't know if they had a service or not so I didn't really look into it um and then I think because I was a contractor at the time I just probably didn't think I could access those certain things I didn't really explore too much what services or support was available I think because I thought I was a contractor um, maybe I couldn't access them but to be honest I wasn't proactive enough to think they'd have something like that especially the way I was expected to come back to work quite soon um and then the information wasn't volunteered, so I just assumed that it wasn't there. After time had passed, I was just looking into counselling myself. And I was looking online for like a range of like free and paid services. 
and I was looking particularly for like um, a black counsellor or BAME counsellor that I could relate to and it was quite difficult um, to find any and then even when I did contact organisations that had like you know a diverse um, staffing I don't I felt like you couldn't directly ask, like they would assign um, a counsellor to you. You couldn't directly ask, well, the organisations that I found, you couldn't directly ask for this specific person. It was based on who had availability and who had like time available to suit your slots. So after a while, I just kind of left it. Like I made a few inquiries, but I just thought, I don't know if this is going to, work because it's not the ones that I'm choosing it's not the ones I want so what did you want from a therapist because these are very good points that you're Mm. uh, bringing up about how restrictive it Mm. can be or how transparent it is about the client's needs at the beginning stages so what were you specifically looking for yeah it would be really helpful if I could access a counsellor that is aware of like my culture or we share the same culture so that when I'm speaking about these things it's not news to them or do you know what I mean they can like pick it up quickly and identify certain things um from my background and stuff but like some of the conversations like no offense but you could tell that it was, you know, somebody that was from a completely different background and completely different social setting. And it just wouldn't be beneficial to speak about some of the things that I'd been through. Like, yeah, and I just don't think they would have got it. Um, yeah, so after that, I just kind of, after having a few email, like, conversations, I just dismissed it and left it. Um so I just dealt with it on my own, really. And, um, mm. yeah, it was, it was hard. It probably would have been beneficial to speak to somebody. Yeah. Um, yeah, it yeah. would have. Yeah, it definitely would have. It's Because, it's, uh, you know, you seeked it out. You actually went out there and did the work and you did the research and you were ready for it. And you were like, I'm mm-hmm. open to this. yeah. It, but to be honest, I didn't do that straight away. No, and many people yeah. don't. It takes time. Yeah. It's when yeah. you're ready, isn't it? Yeah. And um, I don't know. There's this whole. I don't know if it's to. I don't know if it's a common thing, or it's part because I'm kind of getting this theme of like you know being strong and you know making sure you have it all together. I think even within me I had that like okay not that I don't need it but like speaking to someone is like maybe you don't have it all together but then even if you don't have it all together why is that a problem Mm. so I think it's the perspective and I think that's probably one of the reasons why it took me quite a while to like seek out the services and find out what's out there because um, you just sometimes you just try to deal with things alone 
but it's it's good to get that outside perspective um and get that support definitely yeah it's impartial Mm. Mm. I you know I've been exploring therapy on the podcast with all of my guests Mm -hmm. and just myself and um it's really interesting to hear your experience of what happened when you did make inquiries and um also what your needs are Mm -hmm. what it is that you're looking for and I I agree it when someone's from your background or can resonate with difference mm-hmm. and otherness, it's, it is so much more beneficial so that you're not spending 75 quid for 50 minutes explaining your culture. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's one session gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you haven't got to the, to the root of the problem. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Could have done something else with that 75 quid, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big advocate for therapy if you can mm-hmm. find the right person to work with you. Mm. And I just want to say anyone that's resonating with what you're saying here and your experiences, uh, this is just a reminder. We have BATAN, which is the Black African Asian Therapy Network. They have a huge list of therapy services therapists available across the UK please look into it if you haven't already uh there's also NAFASIA as well uh, there's there's many and it just re- it does require a lot of work and a lot of research and and time and effort but just for for anyone if they just think there's only the you know your traditional white middle class therapists there are actually others out there fantastic I wish I knew that at the time yeah, and I'm actually going to share that as well because, um, yeah, I'm going to share that. Yeah, well, they'll listen to this podcast in here, but yeah, I'll share those. I'll 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 put it in the podcast notes as well. I'll tag it. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, because there's there's loads out there. There's even Ashna and um, other more small grassroots organisations where where therapists have built their own businesses to serve specific communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I'll tag them. But yeah you dealt with it on your own what are your friends like mm-hmm. if you don't mind me asking mm. I feel like some people didn't know how to handle it <laughs> like they didn't know if they should say something if they shouldn't it was a bit like yeah they just didn't know some people just didn't know mm-hmm. um any disappointing friends or did you just let it you know you just thought nah well it's fine they don't understand so we move on no I think I was so kind of engulfed with family yeah um at the time yeah and I think because it just happened so quickly even if they I had friends that didn't support in the way I was expecting I think yeah because it was just there was just so much going on didn't really not that it didn't bother me but there was just so much going on so it was kind of like secondary yeah 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 it, it didn't, it didn't take up too much of your um space and in your mind that my friends maybe they don't know what to say but they're not there mm. yeah 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 I think because because of the speed of things yeah because we went from like going to the hospital all the time to okay now he's passed now we're organizing a funeral it was just so quick like I think I think where we were not prepared for it 
ugh, I'm kind of giving people the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I, yeah. Some people, they just, I've, I've just noticed that some people just don't know how to offer support. And some people just don't say anything. Yeah. Isn't that weird? I find that yeah. very weird. <laughs> and then, like, I don't know. They get, they, I thought, I, I sense people's awkwardness. Yeah. But, even if you don't know what to say, my advice is just be there. Like, a person can express whether they want their space or, do you know what I mean? Like, but just give the person that's grieving an option. <laughs> don't mm-hmm. just be ghost and not say nothing or not be there because that's just crap. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just don't make up in your mind what you think the person wants you to do or you know they don't want to speak to anyone or they might want to speak to people they might want to kind of keep busy and chat to people but just get a sense of how the person's feeling and like present some options like let them know you're there for them if they want to talk but if you if you want your space equally you know I'm happy to give you your space like just get back in touch or check in I'll check in later but yeah just to not say anything is just like rubbish but I've seen people I wouldn't say they're close friends but you know people that didn't really say much I could feel that they felt awkward for some reason but they could even if you just say sorry for your loss or you know my condolences yeah acknowledge it just don't act weird like nothing's happened that's just it's a, cons- it's a conspiracy of silence isn't it <laughs> yeah it's, we know this bad thing happened to you but we're not gonna mention it because it makes yeah. you uncomfortable yeah, yeah. bullshit it's a strange yeah. one isn't it yeah mm. i think it's really really crap and i think we mm. need to be better at that yeah uh, which kind of brings me on to ask then because i want to talk a little bit about grief in the workplace and i know you already touched on it in terms mm-hmm. of management and whatnot and the pressure to come back to work do you think we check our personalities at well we do check our personalities at the door anyway when you're working in an office Mm. but do you think that we yeah do we do we check our personalities at the door especially when it comes to grief Mm, that's a good question yeah I think yeah there is an element of that but you know I think we we probably put too much pressure on ourselves. Like, mm. you don't feel like... Like, now I've been through this. If I don't feel like going in, I'm not going to go in. Um, mm. If I want... If I, like, I'm upset, I'm just going to be upset, like, where I... Like, just... Yeah, like, there's no there's no right way or, like, don't feel like you have to compose yourself or... Like you're going through a lot but um, do you think it's hard though in the workplace to kind of show that vulnerability because I when I especially speak to women of color right yeah black Asian minority etc cetera, etc cetera, mm. I, I always find there is a level of well a we have to check our personalities at the door anyway because we can't bring our entire self yeah uh, you know and secondly mm. when you're grieving it's either more amplified mm. um sure we you know we don't have to hold this all in and we can be vulnerable but what is the environment doing at the same time yeah Yeah. that's true like how real can you be in the workplace without your professionalism being questioned anyway 
Mm. Um, and if you're a person of colour, that is definitely going to happen. Of course, yeah. yeah. Especially for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is an interesting one. Uh, to be honest, I didn't think of it like that, but I think you've raised, like, valid points. How, like, comfortable can you be to do that? I think it, it really depends on where you're working, who, like, maybe your team. I think for me at the time, um, my team was not diverse at all. I was the only black person anyway. You were in that office. Yeah, literally. Yeah. I yeah. was the only female on my team at mm. that time. Yeah. Um, it didn't really I think the the team that I went into after was a lot more diverse I probably would have got a lot more empathy and understanding and because you know we had different um backgrounds in the team there would have been more understanding mm. so yeah it, it does make a difference mm. yeah yeah well it's one to put out there for our listeners and anyone that struggles in the workplace with their yeah. grief yeah Definitely. yeah which now kind of we're going to be wrapping up very very soon mm-hmm. um thank you for sharing your experiences I really appreciate your presence oh no worries today as someone that lives a dual reality or dual identity and what I mean by that is you you identify as Ghanaian right yeah is it British Ghanaian or just Ghanaian mm-hmm. Well, on paper, British Ghanaian, but the way things are going, I feel... <laughs> You're going back to Ghana, aren't you? <laughs> the way things are going, You're leaving me. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to head back to Bangladesh. I don't know how much more I can take, man. Do you know what's funny? I actually, like, when I was... Oh, this is, like, mid-20s. I actually did try to live in Ghana for a bit. Yeah, I remember. I remember yeah. Yeah, I think I told you. Yeah, because yeah, I think you told me about your like time abroad, and I've probably shared with you. Yeah, the time I yeah attempted yeah. to go to Ghana and stay there for a while. But yeah, yeah, who knows with this like remote life that we're doing now? Mm. Pretty soon, you don't have to be stuck in one place, so it could open up some opportunities for us. Mm. Maybe six months in Ghana and six months in the UK. Exactly. Yeah. Because mm. could you? Could you permanently live in Ghana is, I guess, is the question I'm asking. From January to December, I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be real. Um, But, yeah, like you said, maybe, like, a few months here, three months there. Do you know, I'd probably have to, because what my mum did when, before she moved permanently, she would do that six months, four months, three months here and there, and then gradually increased it, increased it. So I probably have to build up my tolerance level. <laughs> that mm. sounds very bad. But, mm. you know, build up getting used to the system and how things are out there mm. before making, like, the full, a full jump. Yeah, it's a transition anyway. It would, it would be, wouldn't it? Because you've been yeah. living in the UK most of your life. Exactly. Mm. And it could be anywhere, really. Um, preferably Africa, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey. Like, other countries that I haven't, I haven't even been to, so... Mm. let's see how things go post lockdown mm. you, you mentioned your mum eventually moved back to Ghana permanently yeah. Is mm. there, was there a specific reason for that 
Um, so my mum's story is quite interesting. So she came here um, with my dad. Yeah. Um, they were like really young when they got married. Um, they kind of eloped. <laughs> um, mm. Came here and like started a life. They wanted to like obviously have kids here and get us into the education system. Yeah, like unfortunately, my parents um, separated, and my mom was a single mother raising uh, me, my brother, and my sister. And yeah, I think it was just really challenging for her the experiences she had here. Her sister passed away here. Uh, my mom's work ethic is like so, like she's just so hardworking. Mm. Um, she started off like doing cleaning, um, then she worked her way up into like the office. From that, like she went to college on the side. Um, and she worked in Barclays eventually mm. um, and then she started to do her own business um, so she started to get into like fashion and we used to travel a lot um, because of her business so we'd go to like Manhattan a lot um, and like she started to do really well she started to do that full time um, and then ugh, I think she just got a bit tired of the system here. Yeah. Um, and the, the fast-paced life, London life, and that kind of pace of, like, work, work, work. Even though she eventually branched off and did her own thing, um, I think that whole, the way the system is here of, like, every month, is about your bills <laughs> and mm. money comes in then it goes out money comes in then goes out and I think just maybe the quality of life mm. was missing um so yeah she started to go home a bit and go like months at a time and she started to build um a business back home um so she opened up a small shop like a little kind of corner small shop and then eventually over the years she started to like import export um she learned like business over there in Ghana and then gradually she just went for good and I think like the quality of her life improved so like once we were working and like on our feet and okay then that was kind of the green card for her to go and yeah set up life back home where it's not just about bills and I think I'd say her health improved as well Mm, would do the environment's different the air's different exactly the sunshine and stuff like that so yeah she I think she just kind of got a bit tired yeah wanted a different way of life so yeah she went back home quite a while ago now yeah the, the system is incredibly hard here and I think you know as a black woman as well when mm. you're working that hard it's it's not easy and you you're just striving it's, yes what that's you the say? Word. it's the striving it's the mm. striving yeah I think that's exactly what it is and the system... it's almost like you're trying to catch up with yourself mm. Mm. 
and um, I, I guess I'll ask the question because I don't know. I, I'm not a black woman, <laughs> um, so I can't speak uh, uh, for your experience. But uh, the yeah. question that I want to ask is, uh, do you think the system in the UK makes it harder for black women to really excel and thrive and, you know, live that healthy life? I would definitely say yes. Um when I was younger, I didn't really see it, but as you, like, start working and your ex- personal experiences um, and then, like, your friends' experiences, it's just, it's a common theme, you know, um, that I feel black women experience. And then even just with representation, I think in my career, um, and I've been working a long time, like over a decade, mm. I've seen one female director, one, like mm. in all the jobs I've worked. And I've worked across like broadcasting, digital media, public sector. I've worked in finance. I've worked in tech, I've worked in a lot of sectors and I've only seen one black director. She wasn't even permanent. Um, God. You know, I've seen black women at management level, but it's almost that's as as far as it goes. Um, And then I think even in my experience, I've experienced challenges um, with... I feel like I've had to move around a lot to progress. Mm. Yeah, and when I look at my peers or colleagues I've worked with, sometimes, you know, you'll notice that people with a lot less, you know, experience than you um, can be at, like, a much higher level than you. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I've definitely noticed it. And um, it's really hard. Yeah, it is hard. It is really hard. Because then how do you have faith then in, you know, going forwards if you're not Mm. seeing people like you at the top, you know? Mm. Yeah. And then it's like if even when you, like, do get to management levels, a lot Mm. of the time you're the only one. Um, like I've been in Uh jobs where sometimes I'm the only I think when I started yeah like there's some jobs that I've started and I might be like the only person of colour or the only black person Um, yeah and it's just quite they really need to you know a lot of organisations have inclusive and diversity departments and sometimes you just feel like their check boxes but yeah they are they're really serious they're about it <laughs> they need to like be proactive and recognize talent not just you know hire someone of color but like seek out the there is a lot of good talented people out there I just feel like they're not given the opportunity and there's actually research that says a lot of interviewers interview and hire people that look like them yeah, because they 100%. see themselves in yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. But give someone else a chance mm. that doesn't look like you, might not have the same social background as you. You know, um, mm. 
yeah so absolutely I, I really hope things change but um I have noticed that a lot of uh black women have started to do a lot of things on their own now and like venture out you you know a lot of black women are youtubers and doing a lot of like independent entrepreneurship I've noticed and sometimes I wonder is that because of you know the marginalization they receive in like the corporate world that they kind of have to go out and do their own thing which is really good anyway yeah are those spaces not welcoming us and that's what we have to do so it's kind of a a food for thought question yeah yeah Uh, yeah it's a great food for thought question uh, it's definitely something I've reflected on because I've also noticed that as well. Mm. Your mum had great work ethic, can I just say? She sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, more blessings. <laughs> more blessings and power to her. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So this kind of, we're going to wrap it up now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you shared the memory of your uncle in Croydon. Yeah. Is that your favourite memory or do you have another favourite memory that sticks in mind? Oh, there's so many, Carl, like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cool. so many of him yeah but yeah that's a, that's a fun one because it's yeah. just so funny like if I don't know what his reaction would have been if he saw me with 20 girls yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah that's a good one yeah thank you and that that brings us now shout out to your social channels where people can reach you mm-hmm. um so all my social media channels are girl in media and that's girl without the i um g-r-l Lynn Media, Girlin Media. Um, yeah, that's where you can find me. Follow me, DM me, I'll follow back, I'll reply back. Brilliant. Yeah. And that brings us now to the gratefulness challenge. You know what this is? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> okay. So the gratefulness challenge is how we end the podcast. We would say one thing that we're grateful for in the here and now. So do you want to go first or shall I? You go first, yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks to everyone that's tuned in today. I am grateful for, well, I'm grateful to God. Mm-hmm. I think that we need to make more time for reflection. It's yeah. for our own human betterment. Less reaction, more reflection. Particularly around social media, where when something happens in the world, we're very performative. Mm-hmm. Some of, some of us may do it on purpose because we want to build our brands and others may just want to show that they're reacting and doing something. But are we really doing something is the question. I think that we have to slow down. We don't have to react quickly or straight away. We can think about it, go away for a day. And that's what I'm grateful for. I, I'm a, naturally a reflector and I'm grateful to God for you know giving me that ability to just reflect I'm not saying I'm perfect because I also react (laughs) Um, often and I always have to pull myself back and be like hang on a second Colsima reflect think about this actually what does this mean is there any point you saying this is is now the right time to respond so in the here and now I am grateful to God for giving me that ability to reflect and keep learning over to you I really like that because today is, I'm just going to say the date, today is the 4th of June 2020 and yeah. we all know what's happening this week. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a real good one. Mm. 
I am grateful. I'm grateful that I've been able to appear on this and actually like unpick my thoughts, to be honest. Um, I don't like it actually feels like it feels quite therapeutic, <laughs> to be honest, to speak about sp- speak so openly about my experience um, and just reflecting on like how. I dealt with it, how I'm dealing with it, and um, yeah, like I think there's little compartments in my life that I probably haven't addressed or paid attention to, and this has definitely been a good opportunity to do that. Um, so I'm grateful for that, and also I would say, you know, a lot has happened in this year. Um, I think it's been unexpected for a lot of people and um, I'm just grateful for the small things that sometimes um, probably get or probably don't get as much attention to when we're so busy with life. Um, Just like quiet time, Um, time to yourself, time to not be so busy. health and yeah I think you know I know a lot of people have been quite frustrated with like the lockdown but I don't remember a time where I've had this much time before um so I'm actually quite grateful um for this period to like not be commuting and getting up every morning rushing and yeah just spending money on things that I don't need it's quite an unusual thing to say, um, but I think I'm just grateful for the, the, the quiet time, the downtime and the time to reflect. Whereas um, in the everyday life where we're so busy and we're just like going up and down, we don't really have much time to reflect and think about life and ourselves and spend a bit more time with family. So just grateful for the time as much as there's so much going on yeah that was linda smith she was talking to me about her uncle who sadly died in 2017 i couldn't agree more with linda i think we need more laughter in our life and you know laughter after all is medicine we both in our gratefulness challenge uh we reflected on reflection and the importance of reflection uh lots of food for thought there But as always, thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Colsima Ali.